companies need soul. When Don Draper won the Lucky Strike campaign in Mad Men, it went on billboards, TV, and taxis, everywhere. The ad exec used to decide what people bought and companies decided where we bought it. Now, the power shifted from the ad exec to the customer. Advertising became spreadsheets and algorithms, and we buy anything from anywhere and we complain about it everywhere. And at the same time, the power also shifted from the company to the employee. Companies spent decades optimizing the supply chain and never raised wages. Then COVID came, and the efficiency at all cost mantra meant supply chain shortages and labor shortages. We're interconnected now. Customers buy people, not products. Why else would you buy a Lincoln, Kylie Cosmetics, Dogecoin? And if you want good employees, your company's gotta have a vibe. To be successful, your company needs your own Don Draper. If you don't like what is being said, change the conversation. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Media Jungle Video Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind the news industry, the future of media, and the creator economy. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter and YouTube channel. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show. On this episode, we're joined with Rashad Tabakawala, former chief growth officer of Publicist Group, the biggest ad agency group in the world and the author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. Rashad, I'm glad you can make it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for that crazy introduction. <laughs> it was inspired by a lot of things that you've written, uh, and I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about uh, how you see businesses restoring soul to their organizations. So I wrote this book. It came out in January of 2020. And if you recall, in March of 2020, we closed down. And um, and the book uh, sold really well the first two months, and they did not sell much for the next three months because you couldn't get it, and Amazon wasn't going to ship it. And then it started selling again really well. And... People asked, did I write the book knowing that COVID had happened? And I said, no, the book was done. And the last time I touched it was in September 2019. And the earliest, there was even the first signs of COVID if you were in China was November. But every single thing that has happened in the last two years, including, by the way, most recently Web3, I basically say is going to happen in the next two to three years. Okay, and, 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 and that is primarily because everybody fixated on the math. And I basically, as by the way, a person with an advanced degree in mathematics, decided that the real value was in the meaning. That the spreadsheet could be done by anybody. The data was extremely important, but it was like electricity. You needed to have it to see the way ahead, but which company and which individual separates themselves by the way they use electricity. And so the premise of the book was that we had become too data-driven, too spreadsheet-driven, not that those are important. As I've mentioned, I have a degree in finance and a math degree, so I probably get those things. But we had tilted so much that we've forgotten the soul of a company, which are its people and its culture and its story. And we had forgotten that in the end, it's not the scoreboard that matters, it's the ball and the player. 
why is that? And why did people not really realize that? Why did it take a pandemic for people to realize that? There were two reasons that people didn't realize it. One is, if you recall, uh, because, and again, data is extremely important, but because the highest valued companies were tended to be data driven, people basically said, hey, this data stuff is extremely important. We have to make sure we hire people who are good at it. We want to make sure we make decisions that are worthwhile. And so companies and individuals rightfully said we need to be more data-driven. But what they forgot was data-driven is one part of it, and that the future is really about data-driven storytelling, not just about data-driven data, right? And so the fixation was basically, hey, companies that fixate on data tends to do well. As you also mentioned in your opening, the entire industries, particularly the marketing industry, this is media, advertising, logistics, had all basically decided that what mattered a lot was the plumbing, that the efficiency of the plumbing, of finding the right person at the right time, shipping the right thing exactly when it was needed, keeping inventories low, right? And I reminded people of two things. Number one, is that works unless there is a shock in the system. And anybody who says and has lived long enough knows we have shocks every two, three years. That's number one. But as importantly, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people missed, is fine, you can find the right person in the right place at the right time, but what are you gonna say, right? So the whole idea is, what's the poetry? The plumbing is fine, everybody, and by the way, everybody will have the same plumbing, the big lie, was that you could actually differentiate on the plumbing. You don't differentiate on the plumbing, you differentiate on the poetry, right? And so the only people who made a lot of money were the plumbers and people had lots of plumbing, but they had no water coming out. So how do you, as a, as a business leader, how do you add water to the plumbing or how you, 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 you focus more on that? First of all, number one, make sure you have a world-class data organization. You need that. So I'm not, unlike a lot of people, because of my background, I truly believe it's important, okay? But it's necessary, but not sufficient to compete. You have that. But then you ask the following. I have data, so I'm no longer at a competitive disadvantage with other people. Now, that's relatively true as long as you're not competing with Amazon or Facebook or a few of these other people. Okay, so I'm not at a competitive disadvantage with my immediate competitors, if I'm a bank, if I'm whatever. But okay, if that's once that's done, how do I actually extract meaning from the math? So a chapter in my book literally says too much math, too little meaning, and then shows how you actually can extract meaning from the math without you knowing any statistics, math, or data logic. I simply say, here are six questions you ask, which I call the six eyes, right? Which is to give me an insight. Don't give me a piece of data. If, if someone can, if the machine can spit out the number, then it's not a piece of insight, it's a piece of data. Tell me what a piece of insight is. An insight makes someone see, think, and feel differently about something. A row of numbers never does, right? Involve a lot of different people in looking at the number, because I can assure you, like when COVID happened, different governments looked at the same numbers and came up with completely different ways of dealing with it. China came up with one way, New Zealand and Australia came up with another way, the United States came up with a third way. 
So when people says the answer is in the data, I said, no, the answer is in who reads the data, right? So the, the I involvement is make sure you have different people with different backgrounds looking at the data. Otherwise, you'll actually end up with something pretty weird. So I have this six I exercise, which people have found so useful. That's the reason the book sells like crazy. It's like, hey, let me explain to you how this gets done without you having to run algorithms. Yeah, it's a blueprint for how to do it. How to think about it, right. What types of people do you need to find who, who think the creative, more creative people as opposed to? Yeah, you more... know, I, 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 would, I would say it's this. I first, what I did was I decided to study who are some of the best data scientists in the world, interestingly, right? And the best data scientists were not necessarily just really good at understanding the importance of data. They actually had three skill sets, and it was these three skill sets that I suggest that people look for. Number one, they were deeply curious. So they would ask questions. They wouldn't just say, okay, here's the data. They would ask questions. The second is they tended to be fantastic at communication. They could actually take the stuff and, you know, make it sing, right? So at the back of my library, I've got all of Edward Tuff's books where he basically takes you know, simple numbers and visualizes them and makes them sing. So they were very good communicators. And the third is they were very good collaborators. Because the reality of it is, unless the data is informed by the business and the business informs the data, it doesn't work. If you can't tell a story with it, it doesn't work. And if you don't interrogate it and look at it from different ways, which is curiosity, it doesn't work. So I basically say, Collaboration, communication skills, and curiosity. The the future of marketing, content creation, um, how does this all play in? It sounds like you're almost hiring people who are have content at the top of their mind or communication at the top of their mind. How does how do you see this evolving for content creators? So I believe this is probably going to be the greatest age for both content creators and for creativity. So, you know, in my Substack, I wrote a piece which is called Welcome to the Age of Creativity. And here is why it's very good to be a content creator today. Um, number one, you have more tools accessible to you at almost no cost to actually create, right? So basically you have amazing tools to create and you have amazing tools to publish and distribute. What obviously you don't have is you don't have the inf infamous number of money you need to get people to discover what you just did, okay? But you do have the ability to create, so no one can say you can't create and no one says you can't distribute. Now, if you remember in the old days, it was you can't create and you can't distribute unless you went through some, so that's number one. Number two is because we're about to enter this new world of Web3, which I truly do believe, I don't call it Web3, I call it the future of the internet. And to me, there's, and it's got nothing to do with crypto, right? So people say, look at crypto prices. I said, look, I never looked at NASDAQ prices during 2001. I basically looked at broadband penetration. Uh, and, and so basically think about it as an ideology of what I call decentralized, open and composable. And basically the idea that's really powerful is that we will all have Lego like pieces that we can combine, which is one. 
And then the tokenization of things, not just necessarily NFTs, which are clearly something very good for the creative community, but the tokenization of things allows the creator or the content creator to end up having a larger share of the revenue. Do remember, and this is not Spotify's fault, okay? But if you were a singer who also was a songwriter, so you sang your own song, you get 12 cents from every dollar Spotify gets. Again, it's not Spotify's issue. If someone else wrote it, you get six cents. Right now, one of the things I point to people, and for those of you all who have not seen it, go look at royal.io. Look at autograph.io. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. We've, so, we've covered them on this right. podcast. And so what basically happens is that is where you're seeing the future, which is the last thing that wasn't possible here was the monetization. And if you can monetize, if you own 80 to 90% of the rights, right? You don't have to spend millions of dollars to get millions of people who will give a 1% click. So to a great extent, you can be a fantastically successful person if you have a larger share of yourself versus distribution. Oh, and so I think that's the third power, which is besides the software, besides the tools, it's the ability to monetize. So you can create, you can distribute, and you can monetize. So the, so for you, Web3, is it just as much as important, the new the new ownership models and monetization models for, uh, for content? Or is it more the headset or the technology? So the way I look at it is I frame this. I have a presentation, which interestingly, I've been now given, I've given to already seven boards of directors of companies, okay? And... It's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm an older person, so I get called in. And because I, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of things over the years, I basically said, hey, here's how to think about it. So instead of going in and saying, you know, launch something on Decentraland or, you know, or, or the other, or like mint an NFT, I say, okay, let's think about this for a second as what the implications of what's happening are before you decide what tactically to do. So let's go back 30 years. 30 years ago, around 30 years ago, uh, in 1993, we started the first connected age with the World Wide Web, okay? Online was obviously prevalent before internet was prevalent, but it was really the World Wide Web in 1993 that changed things. And between 1993 and 2007, it was the first connected age. And what did we do? We connected to discover and we connected to transact. We basically today call that search and e-commerce or Google and Amazon in the United States, right? In 2007, we entered the second connected age, building on the first. And now we were now not only connecting to transact and connecting to discover, but we were connected all the time and connected to everybody. We call that social and mobile. And that gave birth to all kinds of companies. Yes, it gave birth to Apple and Facebook. I mean, it continued to make Apple successful and gave birth to companies like Facebook, but it gave birth to companies like Airbnb and Uber and Dollar Shave Club, none of which could have existed before. So that's the second. In about 2018, we started the third connected age, which is building. And these are four new types of connections. So one is data connecting to data, which is AI. <coughs> and many of your you know, audience is probably familiar with DALI. So if you aren't familiar with DALI, look at DALI. So my old place of work, Publicis is now using it. It's open source from OpenAI. And they can now create new graphic images 80% faster, right? The creative still basically then eventually decide how to concoct it, but DALI is data connected to data, which is AI. 
The second is much faster forms of connection, which is 5G. And 5G will not only allow for amazing video content all over, but will basically allow that you're, <coughs> you won't have to worry about bandwidth. That's the second, which is also very good for content creators. The third one is new ways of creating. And that's where voice, AR, and VR come in, right? Those are new ways of creating. And finally, there are new trust connections, which is blockchain. And so the way I look at it is the future of the internet is AI. So think about DALI. Much faster connections, which is 5G. New ways of connecting, which is voice, AR, and VR. And new trust connections, which allow new monetization things, which is blockchain. Those are for real. Those are unstoppable. It doesn't matter what crypto prices are, where the metaverse of Zuckerberg exists or not. That's for the real thing. That's the signal. So I'm now telling people, build the future of your business, assuming that those signals will scale in the next three years. And, and here's how you want to educate and learn about it, which is why people want to talk to me, because it is it like, go do this shit, right? I, I always, I didn't tell people to go do shit. I said, learn about it. Here's how you win the company, and this is how you can strategically win. But I do believe this is for real. Is it more to do with the, I, I understand the first two, the last one with the NFTs and the new ownership model, monetization model, all of that you could essentially do with the existing technology and the trust connection. Isn't that, isn't that just a, a rules? No, no, it isn't rules. So here's what basically happens. There's a fantastic on, on A16Z. So one of the great creators is, you know, Rob McLehenney, who's created both, uh, it never, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and particularly Mythic Quest, which I absolutely love. So the latest A16Z webcast is with him on, you know, why is he as a creator so much into Web3? And he basically shows how the writer's rooms are going to change in the future. And he says what happens is you can do almost everything I just said, but you can't scale it without blockchain or without those, without that, right? So you can do it. But these, so today, most of what people are doing is Web 2.5. But eventually, when you have to scale it, you're going to have to do Web 3, right? And so that is really, really what it is. And obviously, whenever you go into the new era, you will have the equivalent of, you know, web vans and pets.com and everything else, okay? You will have crazy shit. You'll have the CMGIs going up and down. That's what you're basically seeing. But make no mistake, these four factors, including blockchain, which creates, not only does it create decentralized open, and tokenization is the future of CRM, by the way. If you think about it, you know, when people say, who cares about an NFT? I say every brand is an NFT. But you could also say every brand is content. Every brand is a, is a story. You know, it's... Yes. So every brand is a content. Every brand is a story. And to a great extent, which is why when every brand now happens to have access to the same underlying technologies, you know, a big thing was we're going to make lots of money with D2C businesses, right? Well, the problem simply is, is almost all the technology for D2C is now available with the combination of Shopify and everything else. So everybody can launch it. So in effect, the only two differentiating parts are whether what your cost per acquisition is and what your storytelling abilities are. And eventually what it comes down to is design of product. And that's the thing to also remember. Remember, that's the so, but here's the key. What is the most valuable company in the world? Apple. 
what's the most valuable company in Europe? LVMH. Do those two sell on price? Do they sell on plumbing? Yes, because people choose with their hearts and they use numbers to justify what they just did. So I truly believe we're in this massive age of creativity, which is why content creators and creators, because that's gonna be differentiating. Up to now, we've been trying to differentiate on the plumbing, but everybody's got the same plumbing. Now what are you gonna do? One thing you did mention that you, you said it won't be able to scale. Isn't this, uh, not that this is necessarily refuting your point at all, but is this not the time where scale is not the, this is like more direct and niche um, communities? No, is No, so, so the scale is the ability to, for instance, if you wanna basically be in a place where in the future, the next Avengers, are not going to be owned by Bob Chapek and Disney, but owned by the people who actually crowdsource the Avengers. And to do that, what you basically do is you find some amazing creatives, you have multiple reader writers rooms, right? You give them ownership. That is very hard to, so what I mean by scale is to do these things about common ownership, creating a whole bunch of things are very hard to do See, the, the idea really, the biggest mindset shift, which is the key mindset shift that I figured out, was if you think about what happened with the compact disc, right? If you wanted to buy a song, you had to buy a compact disc, and unless it was a Beatles or classical music, it was one good song. So you paid 15 bucks for one good song. Yep. Then you didn't have to do that. Then you could basically buy that one song in iTunes. Yep. For 99 cents. Then you didn't have to do that. You could basically stream you first you could spot. steal it and then you had to buy and it again. Yeah, but, then, but, but, but you know, for $9 or whatever, you could like now stream, right? Yeah. Uh, almost all the music you want in the world, which is yep. kind of like free. Okay, so it's $9 with everything and no problem. Yep. Okay, so with that being said, but what didn't change is still the artist was getting only 12 cents, right? So what has not been stripped away, the content has been stripped away from the medium but the content owner hasn't been able to own the content and not everybody's Taylor Swift being able to re-record all of her albums. Yeah, so this is the, the, should become the golden age for content creators. This is not only should become the golden age, I also basically believe that content creators and content companies have a reason to do this because right now, the economics of most content companies have been sucked away by Google and Facebook and others. Okay, so there is a there is a there is a technological availability meeting an economic need, meeting a creative human need, right? All three coming together, and when those three come together, which is what's happening right now, you will have massive new industries. Now it may take three, four, five years, and won't happen today, but it will happen. What do you say to people who say that this is like VR? You say Web three and uh, and or Metaverse, and that's just VR. Like, and that no, so, we've been so, waiting for yeah, that to happen. No, so here's the key: Web three, Web three tokens, DAOs, and Metaverse are all different things. So first, people. So as soon as I'm done with the boards, people said, "Oh my God, we didn't understand how this worked." I said, "Yeah, because they either conflated or talked to you in tongues, which is you know stupid." tech language, which I understand, but I translate, which is number one. But let's even look at metaverse, okay? So the metaverse is actually augmented reality and virtual reality. It's not just one, 
it's 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 both, which is number one. And there's a new book coming out from Matthew Ball, which I've lined up to buy called Metaverse, which will sort of try to explain some of this. But with that being said, why do I believe that that's going to happen from a human perspective besides a technology perspective, right? The reason is this. The closest we have today to a metaverse in the Web2 world is gaming, right? Gaming is a bigger industry than all the other media industries combined. Now, there are two things to remember. The $160 billion going into gaming, $120 billion of that $160 billion is after the person has bought the game. What are they doing? They're actually basically buying swords, ads on, right? But guess what they're also doing? They're buying clothes for their avatars. One third of, of people under 25 years old in the United States spend more money for the clothes on their avatars than for themselves. Oh my God. Okay, now you might say, <laughs> why does that happen? Because here's my human, I wrote this piece called Omniverse, Omnipresence. I believe that human beings are multiple personalities. I believe that we are many different people and we have been physically relegated to one body. Our minds can span many bodies and that's what this is going to allow. Yes, they're going to be metaverse bodies. Why you equated, uh, you brought up Louis Vuitton where it's like, yes. this is things that you don't really need. Like you don't need anything on your avatar. You don't need a Louis Vuitton, but it, it but, so it's very correlated with that concept of identity. If you think about it, everything that we tend to do, even whether we like it or we don't like it, is about some combination of identity, community, status, and belonging. Okay? That's basically what it is. And, and a lot of technology companies have given us godlike power. The reason Facebook is so successful or Google is so successful is Apple is so successful, they've given us godlike power. I truly believe that this next generation gives us godlike power for the, to the individual, right? It's scary and everything else, but it, it really is. And so with, with a combination of the fact that it signs into human beings and with what I am seeing, that despite whatever the prices are and whatever people are saying, the amount of investment going into the underlying technologies of Web3 hasn't stopped, right? And, and, and so that is a big thing. If you're a content person today, I would say there are two things. One is it's a great time to be a content and creative person because I think the opportunities will be greater than ever before. But number two, you have to start learning the new skill sets because this isn't going to be, I, I, I remember, you know, when there was an era where it was the people who were only the Joe Pitkers of the world uh, who were shooting film. And I, and I, when I launched the first interactive agencies, I said, that's fine, but I need people who write code, macromedia and other in those days, right? Uh, who can tell stories with this way. And then you could tell different stories with different ways. And so these new skill sets with new economics and new ways people are expecting is going to be very, very interesting. And that, by the way, is what I'm seeing so many smart people, like on the latest Recode Media, the person who's created Peaky Blinders, but she also created the Bill Cosby show, Third Rock on the Sun. She's going in full force into this. She's saying, I'm rethinking and rethinking the stuff. So world-class creative leaders are starting to go into this. Now, it's very interesting. If you happen to be, by the way, the Disney Corporation, this may not be so good. And that's sort of what you're saying, that the, the person has has gotten this godlike power. The individual. Yeah. The, the employee, the customer, the creator. 
it's it's the individual and not the institution it's not the company as much as increasingly it's the individual and that's the future yes because power it, to the people it's it's power to the people and and, and 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 i really do believe it is that and and what you will basically see is more and more of that becoming a reality in the next two three years Amazing. We were going to talk about the future of work and the office, throw away the office, but this has been too entertaining and too uh, interesting to uh, but, derail. But you know, yeah. So I think you know, <laughs> one of the key things I think that also, I, I mean, one of the things I've, I, I write about lots of different things, but the thing I wrote about the future of the office was a very simple thing called return to the office question mark. Okay. And I, I write the substack called the future doesn't fit in the containers of the past. And I do believe that for many, many companies, unless you're like in physically producing a good or you're a dentist or obviously like, you know, in a massage thing like massage envy, uh, the office is going to get less and less important. And people are confusing two separate things. People are, my whole stuff is what's important is in-person interaction. But if you remember, we never used to have much in-person interaction in the office meaningful relationship building, learning, networking took place at bars, restaurants, events, and other places. So the moment you begin to think about in-person interaction, you begin to realize that the office is only one of four components and it's really a museum, right? It's, it's the museum part of the four components, but then you have the third place, you have the events, you have the restaurants, you have the experiences. And once you start thinking that way, no one in their right mind can think about anybody working five days a week. Even Goldman Sachs and others can't force people back there, right? Because my whole basic belief is world-class talent isn't, aren't cows. And I tell people, the cows have left. It's too late to close the stuff. Or as I basically tell people, all of our minds are like champagne corks. Once they come out of the bottle, they don't fit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like people were the most most of the time, those interactions, a lot of times they were like complaining about those types of things. I don't like this person. I don't, like it's like being in a room with someone for so many hours. Yeah. People have different personalities. People eat different smelling food. People, uh, you know, like there's it's, so it's, many. It's not, only, it's not only that. If you go to most offices, what used to be considered to be so abusive, nostalgic. And I, I work across so many different companies around the world. I actually see when I walk into the offices how horrible it's now turned out to be. They're half empty. Most people don't show up. Now people are saying, why are we spending so much money coming here, eating all this expensive food, right? So people say, we'll give you free food. I say, it's not free food. You want in-person interaction. If you want them to come back to the office for one or two days a month or three days a month, you have to program it. Mm -hmm. You can't have them and come make back it and fun. Make it a make it yeah. a social. Yeah. So you're sort of decompartmentalizing the whole work experience where this is for social trust building. This is for this. This, this is, is for, for learning. That. This is for networking. Yeah. So the, the, the thing and I we're never coming back is, to the office. Basically, not never coming back to the office. The office's role will be that of a museum, a part of for in-person interaction. And depending on the type of company and how old you are and what needs to be done, it may be X number of days to Y number of days a month. Okay, a month, not a week, X number to Y days a month. But what is extremely important, and this is the thing that people have to recognize, is even the words we use, the English words we use are wrong. Okay, remote and hybrid are wrong words, right? We become so lazy, office versus in-person. Remote makes you basically think if you're not sitting at home, the office, you're feeling lonely. I stopped, I stopped working full-time after I started my book. 
I wasn't feeling lonely during before COVID, right? So I don't use the word remote. Hybrid makes you think it's only office and home. Those are not the only two choices. So I use the word unbundled and distributed. Work has been unbundled and work has been distributed. And how do you, for re- depending on what you do, how do you re-aggregate it? See, what that requires is something that is the really amazing thing. Why are most senior people scared? Because it asks you now, what exactly do you do? Right? It's time to be a leader, not a manager. It's time not to check in on people. And that is why they're so scared. It is interesting because when we started Story Hunter, a lot of the um, even ad execs and other people were like, I want to use Story Hunter. We're a distributed global network of freelancers around the world. And they'd say, I want to use Story Hunter because it'll force my executives to actually write a creative brief and tell someone what they want to do instead of be like, no, Daniel will do it. And it's always like passing across the responsibility. If you have a platform where you're dealing with a creative and another side of the world, you have to actually put your head together and think about what you actually want. And, and to me, it forces every one of us who are more seasoned to reinvent ourselves to remain relevant. Okay. And just because you're senior doesn't mean nuts anymore. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. Reinventing ourselves to remain relevant. Uh, Thank you so much, Rashad. This has been an enlightening experience. Well, thank you. Thank you for thank you for inviting me. Give another shout out to your book. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, What's what's it called again? It's called Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. But. Another thing you can also do is if you go to rishad.substack.com, that's my weekly thought letter. It's free. That's read now by about 25,000 people every week. Uh, and if you want to see the best of that, you can just go to my website, backslash 100. So rishadtobacco.com backslash 100, and you'll see the very best of it all categorized for you. And also that's completely free. And there'll be a, a whole dozens of podcasts coming out very soon. There'll as well. be dozens of podcasts coming off, etc. So if you think about it, I've become a you know, a math strategy major has now become a second class content person. See, even I'm trying. A poet, first class poet. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. We'll be taking off for a few weeks. Have a great summer. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.